Hello Forum listeners. My name is Keely Carolyn, and I'm a staff reporter for The Forum. In today's episode, I sit down with Westminster professor Christy Clay to talk about the relationship between food systems, climate change, and what students at Westminster can do to take action in their communities. Enjoy! My name is Christy Clay. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a professor in environmental studies and biology here at Westminster. Awesome. Thank you. For this podcast, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your interest in food systems and sort of their relation to climate change, um, Mm -hmm. especially on a local level. So that's sort of something that we touched on last time we spoke in the organic garden. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. So first, can you tell me a bit about your academic background and what sparked your interest in the subject? Yeah, so I'm trained as an ecologist. I actually, my training is more in like community ecology. So the the interactions between the living things in the environment and the non-living things, right? The climate, the um, landscape, other things that that are not living that affect those interactions. And I actually got I've always grown food. I grew up in a family that had, my dad was a farmer, but moved to the city and always had a garden. So I always had interaction that way. And then actually when I finished college, I went and worked on a couple of organic farms in Ireland. My family's Irish and I had never been there and wanted a way to like really engage in the work and not be in books. <laughs> so I've been farming for a long time. Here, I didn't come teaching food systems when I first started. That actually wasn't, you know, I was, I was doing other, other things in ecology, but the more I worked with students in the school garden, and the more I realized that food offered so many opportunities to have conversations that were both interdisciplinary and intersectional in nature, and they really suited my strengths as an ecologist, the more it felt like a natural fit working with students. So that's sort of how I got to be doing that here. Yeah, so I feel like food systems in the U.S. would probably be a pretty major topic to cover during a short podcast episode, so I kind of just wanted to bring our focus in a little bit to Mm -hmm. more of a local level. Mm -hmm. Um, So could you maybe tell me a couple of things um, that might be concerning about food systems in Utah that Westminster students might not know about, or even um, just on a local level, like within our own communities and like the Salt Lake Valley and stuff. Yeah. So I think on a broader scale, if we think of like the Utah food system, which it's not right, like we don't get food only within the boundaries of the state. In fact, we produce very little of our food here. Um, what we produce the most of and, and in largest quantity is actually meat, um, because we graze cattle on public lands and all that. So, Um, That doesn't mean that everyone who eats meat here actually gets Utah-raised meat either. So that's just important to say that we're not a self-sufficient state. There is no state that is. But anyway, I think some really important things for students to understand, and this is where the nexus of the issue of drought and climate change come to be, right? Like our food system inherently depends on water. I don't think that's something people are surprised about. But the production of animal protein is incredibly water-intensive. And that is going to become more and more of a stress point, right? So um, the demand for water in agriculture is already high. And then as the climate changes and we're drying, that will stress both our culinary water, the drinking water we all need to survive regardless of what we eat, and it will create stress 
for the animal production side of what we do. So I think that's something that we need to start paying attention to is our largest agricultural products here in the state and actually more broadly are, are sort of threatened by this issue of climate change. I think something to think about locally is that same challenge of water is going to come as we use a lot of our water for things like grass and golf courses and people just need basic water but most of our water use in the state is actually not used to feed or drink it's used for agri for landscape agriculture is first and really challenging and then all the rest of our uses sort of in my mind superfluous uses like landscape and so i think I think we're going to have conversations here in the state and even locally in the city about what our values are, right? Should everyone have some basic allocation of water that they need to survive? And then what are we spending on, on otherwise? And I think those are going to become really important conversations. So that's the sort of nexus of climate change and food and water access that I think that we're going to talk about more in, in a state like Utah. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I suppose in a state like Utah as well, since it's so dry here, like more water has to be put into landscaping if people are choosing to landscape. I mean, you know, if we're going to have grass, right, much. we're seeing that one of the things that we need to ask ourselves, are we raising are we raising animals for agriculture in the right places? And that may be a right. bigger, broader economic question for our state, right? There's a lot of identity tied up for people who are in agricultural communities. There's a lot of economics tied up in that. But then also, like, are, is grass, like, as it gets drier, we're going to have to put more water into that landscape. Is that what we really should be prioritizing? Totally. And, yeah. and golf courses, those two. <laughs> landscape broadly, green Absolutely. grass is challenging. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So drought is one major mm -hmm. climate um, issue that we're facing because of the way that we are doing agriculture, I suppose, in the state of Utah. Well, well and climate change brings shifting precipitation patterns, right? right? So we have less snow, and when we do get water, it comes in the form of rain, and it's coming differently than our agricultural or any of our ecosystems have evolved to, right? Like our, our ecosystems here have evolved on average to get water in the form of snow that then melted all summer long. Right. And now we're getting less of that altogether. And sometimes when we get water, it comes as rain in the summer, which is different than the plants have adapted to. Totally. So that's kind of affecting our uh, local ecosystems as well, like mm -hmm. in the Wasatch, correct? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, are there any connections that you know of between um, agriculture in Utah and the pollution that we face in the Salt Lake Valley? Uh, because most of the agriculture in Utah is not actually happening immediately in the Salt Lake Valley, it's not the driver of pollution here. So big industrial agriculture, say the hog farms in North Carolina, produce a lot of air pollution issues, right? Because literally they're getting rid of the manure the, the hogs produce by broadcasting it in the air, right? Totally. We don't have that issue. Um, one, we don't produce hogs <laughs> in the Salt Lake Valley itself, um, but they're not the primary driver of our air pollution because we don't have enough agriculture in the valley and also our sources are other things. It's 45 or more percent is our cars. Um, a big chunk of it is industry, but not agriculture industry. So no, it's not it's not the source of our air quality problems here. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I mean, indirectly, if we use up all the water that flows normally into Great Salt Lake for agriculture or other upstream uses, then we will get an air pollution problem of the drying of the Great Salt Lake. But that's many links in the chain down, if that totally. makes sense. That does make yeah. sense. So have you found that students you meet when they come into your classes, for example, where you're uh, talking about these sorts of things, do you find that they're 
they're largely uninformed about the topic? Um, I mean, so I think they have they have some information, right? Like students are always like, are you vegan? You know, um, <laughs> what do I need to do to do this right? I, what I see is there's genuine interest in making change, right? Like I think young people realize they've inherited this big mess. Um, they're not doubting it. That actually is different in my time here, right? Like early teaching here, I actually had students say to me, I don't believe climate change is real. And that was an honest wow. conversation we had. Mm-hmm. And I've only been here 14 years, right? So that's, right. that's different. That's not a conversation anymore. And if I guess if there's a student who doesn't believe climate change is real, they're not voicing their opinion. Whereas I used to have more <laughs> than a handful would say, yeah, I don't think so. Now, I think more of the students are feeling like even maybe I do all the things I think are right and it's still not changing, right? Or, oh my gosh, there's so many other things I didn't know. What I feel like though is we just talked about the problems that agriculture can contribute. I also really hope students leave my class and, and outside of my class understand that agriculture can actually be part of solutions. And I think that's really important to realize. And so I think that's part of what we undo is like, yes, there are things we can do that we need to shift in agriculture. But a lot of those things, there's reducing the the damage that agriculture causes and realizing that good agriculture has a whole lot of benefits not just climate change, not just um, food access, but fairness, equity, health. There's a lot of ways that system is both broken and has potential to be restorative. And so I think that's the piece that I want students to see is that that system has a lot of potential to do good. Totally. Thank you, that was a very thoughtful answer. (laughs) What are some ways perhaps outside of class that you think students can become more informed about this Mm -hmm. issue and sort of the more specific areas of it that you were just telling me about? Well, I guess one of the things I want students to do is recognize that we have to take, um, there's always this question of like, is it individual change or is it systemic change? And I don't think it's, it's not, it's a both and, right? So I think that's something for students to consider is that we can make individual choices and they can research some of those and feel like, like what are the things that like make sense for their economic standing, their cultural values, their own just like personal place in the world. And then there's also like these big systemic changes that need to happen. And what I hope students do is learn about the things that need work. I have borrowed this from a really smart woman who works on um, climate change in ocean communities. Um, her name is Ayanna Johnson. She's a fantastic marine biologist. But she basically says, there's all this work that needs to be done. There's the skills that you have. And then there's the place of your joy. And find where those three intersect. And that's where you belong, right? And so if you're excited about food or you're even just like, oh my gosh, I eat three times a day, <laughs> where do I engage? <laughs> then maybe like what I hope students can do is figure out where those three circles intersect if they decide that the solutions they want to pursue are about food, right? Because there's clearly enough, there's other problems in the world. Um, Absolutely. Food just happens to present problems of justice, problems of equity, problems of health, problems of the environment, and also solutions for all those things, right? right? Sort of a huge intersection of yeah. all these topics that are so pertinent to all of us. Yeah, and and sort of in my mind, like, I guess I feel like we're all going to have to eat. Is green tech the thing we all need to live? Probably not. I mean, I know that <laughs> makes me sound like kind of a Luddite, but I guess we all need to eat. And right. if that's the way you can engage in making the world a better place, maybe that's, that's a good thing. So what I hope students will pursue outside of my class is to start to, I mean, the Environmental Center is another really great resource. Um, there are lots of organizations more broadly 
and I guess finding your people um, in that work is what I really hope students will do because I don't think any of this is stuff to do by yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. That again was forum reporter Keely Carolyn interviewing biology and environmental studies professor Christy Clay. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to check out more content from the forum, please make sure to follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WC Forum Media. And if you'd like to read this story or any other from the forum in its entirety, you can find them on our website, wcforummedia.com. This is Anthony Giorgio, video and podcast director for the forum, signing off.